Wonderful, wonderful. How is everyone today? Just be honest. How are you doing? Good? Tired? Weary? All of the above? It's been quite a week, hasn't it, in many, many different ways. And, um, but it's good that we're here. And uh, I always knew that I was going to be speaking on this passage. And, you know, what's wonderful about the Bible is that when you speak on the Bible, God is able to speak to us through the Scripture in a lot of different ways. Take the same story, and because God's amazing, he can take the same story and speak to us in loads of different ways through it. And, um, and God has... The word that I'm going to bring us today is pretty serious, actually. Um, there was a guy who used to be part of this church called Alex Buchanan, and he's now with Jesus. And he used to say, the message that I'm bringing today is serious, but not miserable. And, uh, and I guess that's what I'd say today. This message is serious, and it's, but it's not miserable. Because we're in week four of our series, Your Part in God's Story, where we're taking a journey through now until the end of November, through the whole story of the Bible. And we're reminding ourselves that, that this story that we find in the Scripture dares to tell us this is the real story of what's going on in the world. This is the story how God, through Jesus, is restoring and rescuing his creation. And incredibly, in his loving kindness and grace, he has a custom-made role for each and every one of us to play our part in that story. It's amazing, isn't it? That we're all invited to play a part in his salvation story. And so this morning, I want to explore this question. How do you ensure... That you don't get taken out, wiped out, or knocked out of the amazing part that God has for you in this story. How do you make sure you don't miss the beautiful, brilliant, bright life that God created you for? Because like, I don't know about you, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And, and even if you have missed it, even if, you know, I think there'll be a variety of people here today. And, and I'm, I'm just saying right now that if you're here today or, or you're watching this later online and you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, I'm praying that by the time I finished in four hours time that you will want to, just checking you're listening. By the time I finish that, that there'll be someone in this house today who will say, I need Jesus in my life. And that there will be some of us maybe here today who feel like we've messed up and made a mistake and got things wrong. And you will find an opportunity through this message to get back on track because there's always a way back with God. There's always a way back with God. And if you feel like you're doing well and you're tracking really well, then I I hope and pray that this message will cheer you on to go even further, even deeper, even more into this best life that God's got for you. But it's a serious message, so we better pray. So I'm asking, could you close your eyes and maybe even with me, put your hand on your heart. And we say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help us to be open to what you want to say to us today. Help Matt to speak your word and change us. And everyone agreed and said? Amen. Amen? Amen. You're definitely going to have to help me preach today, people. Are you going to help me preach? Okay, that's good. So let's jump straight into the serious. What a terrible tragedy. MP David MS goes to work a couple of days ago. And when he's getting up that day to go to work, another man is getting up with a, with a different intention. 
to take David's life. And we must continue to pray for David's family in this terrible, shocking time. What it must be like to know that someone wants to take you out. I have two friends who didn't get taken out, but they nearly were taken out. One lived in London and one in another country, and they both in completely separate incidents witnessed a crime. And because they witnessed a crime, uh, the people who were aware they'd witnessed it in London decided that the only solution was to take my friend Chris out. And then the guy in the other country, again, going to have to take him out. Can you imagine how that feels? Like, you, you know that someone wants to destroy you. Someone wants to kill you. You don't know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. You don't feel safe. And, and the guy who was in London in the end had to move. And the guy in the other country, he rode it out. And I'm pleased to say that, that actually they both managed to ride it out. And they're both safe and all is well. But that feeling of knowing that someone is after you. Be terrifying, wouldn't it? And, and I guess with that powerful picture in mind, I want to get serious. Because there's some really bad news and then there's some really amazing news. And the bad news is this, friends. That someone does want to destroy you. Someone is absolutely committed to take you out. There is an assignment on your life to destroy your life. There is. And when I say that, I'm talking to every single person in this room and every single person on the planet. There is an assignment. Someone has a mission and a goal to take you out. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about some conspiracy theory about some government or commercial company with some big global conspiracy. I'm talking about a spiritual reality which plays out physically in the world that someone wants to take us out. Jesus described it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is one of my favorite things that Jesus ever said where he talked about the two assignments that exist over your life. He said this, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you would have life and have that life in all its fullness. And what Jesus is saying here, and I know if you're a person, you're not sure about faith and this sounds kind of crazy, then it, this, this, this may sound weird, but what Jesus is saying is that there are satanic demonic forces, which is a title that he's giving to the thief, that are at work in the world, that are intentionally active. Notice the word he says, the thief comes. The thief comes. These forces are active and intentional to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And not just the, your life, but actually the whole of creation. That's what they want to do. Militantly so. That is bad news. That's bad news. That is serious. And, and having kind of grown up in the church and, and been part of this church and, seen, and gone to other churches around, around the world and, and connected with lots of people pastorally, let me tell you, the enemy is not mucking around. He is serious. But then Jesus says that he has a different assignment. Aren't you glad that Jesus has got a different assignment? So Satan has this assignment to kill you, but it says, but I have come, 
Jesus is equally intentional and active. He says, I have come that you would have life and life in all its fullness. That he is intentionally and actively loving to seek to bring God's rescue and redemption to the whole of your life and the whole of creation. Two assignments. Satan wants to destroy you. Jesus wants to rescue you. Which brings us to this question. How do you ensure that you don't get wiped out, knocked out, taken out of this amazing life that God has got for you. Because this is serious. It's not miserable, but it's serious. And so I want to jump back into the story that we've been looking at, into 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're 1375 BC, so this is over 3,000 years ago. Uh, Last week, uh, Amy spoke on Moses And so Moses has now rescued the people from Egypt. They're now in the promised land. They've been led into the promised land by Joshua. We have this period of of hundreds of years where they're led by judges. And we we arrive in this scene in Matthew, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where Samuel, the last and most beloved judge of Israel, is about to step into his position. And actually, as we're going to read in these 10 verses, there are... There are two characters in this story. There is Eli, who has been wiped out, taken out, and blown out of the story. And there's Samuel. And so the question is, how how do we make sure we're Samuel and not Eli? What is it about Samuel that propels him into becoming the most significant prophetic voice in his season? Read with me. Ten verses. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, the messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli said. Go back to bed. So he did. And then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he'd never had a message from the Lord before. And so the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Now, if you go and read the the verses that follow, God speaks. and, And basically what we see is because of the unfaithfulness and the bad choices that Eli has made, God is essentially saying Eli and his sons and even Israel to a degree are going to face great calamity. They've been taken out. But Samuel is being written fully into his story. He's going to step up and play his part. And if you follow the the journey of Samuel and the story of Samuel through through the whole book of 1 Samuel, you'll see this guy, he sticks with it. He starts well, he continues well, and he finishes well. And, And for all of us here, we may start well, we may do our middle bit well, maybe we do our middle bit badly, but the most important thing is that we finish well. 
We, we want to finish well. And so even if you feel you're in a place you've messed up and screwed up, God is able to rescue, recover, and make sure you get back on track so that you finish well. Anyone want to finish well in this house today? Not someone say, we're going to finish well. We're going to finish well. So what is it? What is it about Samuel that kept him on track in this moment and for the rest of his life that that wasn't true of Eli. And I, I want to suggest he had three resolves. I'm calling this message the resolve. But if you're going to stay on track, you, you need some resolve. Because this is a fight. This is a scrap. And, and so I think if, if, remember, Samuel's about 12 years old at the time. If 12-year-old Samuel was here and we said, like, Samuel, like, how did... You know, you, you, you're being propelled in this great adventure. What is it about you that we see in this story? And the first thing I want to say is this, that Samuel would say, and we see it in this story, he would say this, I just live to please God. I live to please God. That's what I do. In verse 1, we, we read just this subtle verse. He's in the tabernacle serving God, and the Hebrew word for serving is sharath. And it literally means to be doing menial, kind of low-level, low-ranking work. But Samuel gives it everything he's got. Because he recognizes that everything he is given to do, he's going to do well. Because it's a gift from God and it's part of his worship. Whatever God asks me to do, I'm going to do and I'm going to do it well. Because I want to please God. I don't want to please myself. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to be some kind of spiritual rock star. I'm not trying to be famous. I don't need a title. It doesn't matter if I become, ever become a high priest or not. All I want to do is please God. I just want to make God happy. Eli wasn't the same. Maybe because he'd been at this game for so long, he had just missed it. That he started to get comfortable. And the problem is when we get religious, we get comfortable. And he got comfortable. And, and we get this thing that says that he was physically blind. That he could hardly see. And the writer's pointing at that saying, not only is he physically blind, he's become spiritually blind. Like his physical blindness is a metaphor that he has traveled a distance from God. Because now in his twilight years, he just wants the easy life. He just wants to settle. And he's, and he's come to believe what I think is one of the most deceptive lies of the enemy, which is the lie of entitlement. The lie of entitlement. Because when if you're not living to please God and do whatever he wants, then you can easily fall into this lie of entitlement pleasing yourself. Because the lie of the entitlement, and it's so prevalent in our culture today, basically says that you are entitled to be whatever you want, do whatever you want, and say whatever you want. You're entitled. Because you are entitled, ultimately, to please yourself, to be self-centered rather than God-centered. And, and, and that's what happens to Eli, but Samuel doesn't play out that way. And the thing is, the lie of entitlement, it's so subtle, isn't it? It can get all of us, every single one of us. Like you had a really, really hard day at work. Or maybe you've had a, a, a really fantastic day full of great success, and the little lie of entitlement says, hey, like it's been a tough day or it's been a great day. You need to reward yourself. 
Or you need to comfort yourself. And, and so, hey, I enjoy a glass of wine and, and as much as the next person. But, hey, don't just, don't, just, don't just have one if you want to comfort yourself. Don't just have one if you want to reward yourself. Like, have three or four bottles. Like, you know, you need to embrace these comforts without telling us they are false comforts. And they are false rewards. The, the, the live entitlement whispers to us in it, and it says to us, you know, that person who's being so horrible to you, you are entitled to be horrible back to them. Like, yeah, like you know, they're not being nice to you. You should, you should gossip about them. You should be as unkind to them as they are to you. Hurt them as much as you can. The live entitlement. You've worked really hard for your money. You're entitled to keep it to yourself. You shouldn't share it with anyone else. Like build your bigger house, bigger car. Build your self-centered life. Again, nothing wrong with having a nice house and a car. But the law of entitlement says it's all yours. Keep it to yourself. And even within the church, the law of entitlement is so rife. Let's face it, we, we can, like, again, particularly those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, we can get to this sense where we feel that we've moved from a covenant relationship with God to a contract relationship with God. We say, hold on, God, um, I, I've served in this church for years and years. I, I give my money. I, I faithfully pray. I read my Bible. You, God, are entitled to answer every prayer. I'm entitled to have you answer. You should answer my prayers. Where are you, God? If Samuel were here today, he would probably get on his knees before God and say, God, you actually don't owe me anything. Because you created me, and you know me, and you love me, and you came for me, and you died on a cross for me, and you rose from the dead for me, and you went to heaven for me, and right now you're praying for me, and one day you'll return for me. You don't owe me anything, God. And yet, still in his loving kindness and grace, we're invited to pray and pray and give heaven no rest. But at the end of the day, if, if God never answered another prayer, he's already done enough for us through his life and death on the cross. Samuel lived to please God. He just wanted to please God. God, I, I just want to do what makes you happy. When I get up in the morning, I want to do what makes you happy. I'm going to reject false rewards and false comforts, anything that takes me on track I want to live to please you. The second resolve that Samuel had, if he were here, I think he would say, I live to please God and I long to be close to God. I just want to be close to him. And we see this again in the story. Verse 3 tells us that Samuel would sleep right next to the Ark of the Covenant, literally, literally almost cuddling the Ark of the Covenant. If you're not familiar with what the Ark of the Covenant is, it's this beautiful gold-plated chest which inside contained the Ten Commandments that Moses received many centuries earlier. And for the Israelites, it was the physical symbol of the presence of God. And so when, when Samuel's in the tabernacle and he's, and he's getting as close as he possibly can to the, to the, to the Ark of the Covenant, he is essentially saying to God, I just want to be close to you, God. I want to be as close to you as I can possibly be. Like, do you remember when you were younger? Like, who had a teddy bear when they were younger? Anyone had a teddy bear that used to cuddle at night? Or a favorite pillow or something like that? Maybe some of you still got it now, haven't you? Just be honest, I can tell. And of course, the reason that we cuddled our little teddy or that we still cuddle our teddy or have our favorite pillow is because we feel a sense of comfort with it. 
But Samuel knows. Nothing wrong with having a teddy bear. Enjoy your teddy bear cuddles. But he knows, if I'm going to get close, if I'm going to cuddle anything, I need to cuddle God. I need to get close to God. I want to draw close to God because if I get close to God, God is the source of life and comfort and hope and peace and strength and healing and freedom and protection and power. God is the source of all of these things. And I need to get as close to him as I possibly can. Because if I get close to that, I'm going to stay on track. I'm going to stay on track. And of course, the, the great lie of the enemy, and he is so good at this, I don't want to give him any credit, is the lie of independence. You don't need God. You Don't read your Bible. It's, it's boring and irrelevant. It's full of contradictions. Like, don't hang out with this group of people in church. Don't be at the 7 a.m. prayer meeting. Like, you know, don't come to encounter nights. You know, don't read the scriptures for yourself. Don't sing. Don't do all of those things. Just go through the motions because what he's trying to do is get us as far away from life as possible. Far away from God as possible. And let's face it, he's pretty successful at times. He, he, encourages us, deceives us into a do-it-yourself life, which we weren't created for. We were created not for DIY. We were, we were created for DIG, do it with God. Get close to him. Get close to him. We weren't supposed to do it without him. We were created. We talked right in the very first week in Genesis chapter 1. We were created for relationship with God. And also relationship with one another. We need both. We need to be cultivating uh, time with God in every way that we can. And we need to have time with each other. Absolutely essential. We cannot do this by ourselves. The Bible knows nothing of do-it-yourself religion. You know, I, I'm so grateful that, that I can grow and train myself in practices of being close to God. I'm so grateful I can come and I can worship with you. I'm so grateful I can, even though I'm sleepy at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I can come online and just about fix my hair. Probably not that, you know, bed hair and, and just pray for 15 minutes with a bunch of you. I'm so grateful that at the end of this week, at the, uh, in two weeks today, we've got our encounter night where we can just push in, not worrying about the time and worship God and have those moments. I'm so grateful. I live in a country where I actually have a Bible and I can sit down and I can read it in my home and not worry that someone's going to come and kill me because I've got a Bible. I'm so grateful that I live in a house where I can turn the volume up to 11 and worship God and declare that he's good. I'm so grateful that I can chat to my wife and we can cheer each other on in faith in the times that we feel that life is hard. I'm grateful for Phil and John, my accountability buddies for the last 20 years. We're in touch with each other every single day. We've been in touch this morning. It's been a tough week this week. I reached out to them and said, you need to pray for me. This is what's going on. I'm grateful because I need them just like they need me. I'm grateful for Pete Gilbert, who's my mentor and, and uh, and, and spiritual director who supports me and cheers me on. I'll be seeing him in a week's time up in Scotland. And I'll fly to Scotland because I want to do anything I can to stay on track with Jesus and stay on track with brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot do this by ourselves. So we need to make time. We need to make time. Get close. Get close. I... I love to please God. 
and I long to be close to him. And then finally, and I need to finish because I want us to have some time to respond. He's, then he says, then he would say this, and I learned to listen. I, lo- I love to please him. I live to please him. I long to be close to him, and I learn to listen. And here we get this moment where, where God speaks. And, and it says that Eli doesn't know the Lord. Now, that word know is the word yada. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know anything about God. It's, it's not an intellectual know. It, it's an experiential knowing. Basically, what the writer is saying is Samuel has never had an experience like this before. So he needed an Eli, even though Eli was spiritually blind. It took him three attempts to figure out what God was up to. And then eventually, Eli realizes what's happening and... And says to him, okay, if it happens again, then just say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. Even this moment, friends, is a tragedy. It shows you how drifted Eli is. Because, like, if you were Eli and you drifted, wouldn't you want to say, I want to be part of that moment too? Now, I'm just going to go back to sleep and you get your blessing. Friends, don't go back to sleep when God's got a blessing for you today. Don't go back to sleep when God wants to speak to you today. Get back on track. God wants to speak to you. There's another chance. And this word, this word listen, uh, this word listen in the Hebrew, it literally means to listen with the intention to actually do what you're told. So, so when God speaks again to Samuel, Samuel, when he says, listen, Lord, your servant is, um, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, Samuel is essentially saying, I'm reporting for duty, God. I've got my notebook ready. You tell me what to do, and then this is where you get the cycle. I live to please you. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to draw close to you so that you keep speaking, and then I'm going to listen and do it, and then I'm going to live to please you, God. And then I'm going to get closer to you, and so that you whisper your secrets, and I'm going to do what you say, and then I'm going to live to please you, God. And that is how Samuel kept on track for the whole of his life. Growing in intimacy with God, learning to listen to God. God speaks to us in so many different ways, doesn't he? Speaks to us in moments like this. Some of you here, hearts burning, just now, oh yeah, no, I feel like God's speaking to me. Not Matt, but God's speaking to me. Sometimes we open our Bible. A lot of the time we open our Bible. Hopefully all the time we pray, God, speak to me through your word. Like when we sing songs, we're not singing songs for the sake of singing songs. We're singing songs because we're singing truth. And that truth, when we really sing it with a heart of passion and commitment, starts to impact us. And all of these things, when we're praying, gathering, reading the scripture, singing songs, the goal of these things is not to do those things. The goal of these things is they help us get closer to God. That's why we do them. And to hear from him what he wants to say to us. How do you stop being wiped out, knocked out, taken out in this journey? God has a great plan for you, a great destiny for you. And if you are like me, you're going to run for it, you're going to fall. Sometimes someone's going to take you out. Sometimes you're going to take yourself out. You've made a bad decision. Welcome to the club. Are we all in the same club? None of us are smart enough, good enough. We're all messed up, screwed up. None of us are perfect. But Jesus is perfect. And he perfectly loves us. And he perfectly forgives us. And he perfectly lifts us up. And he comes to us today and say, let's go again. Let's go again. You want to stay on track? Then just live to please me. Get close to me. And listen. And listen. You've got to make time to listen. And so I I want us to um, 
to take a time now to respond to this. And I was introduced through Amy to this song that we're going to listen to. And it's called God Will Work It Out. And, and I just, as we, as we listen to this song, I want to encourage you not to just listen passively, but allow the Holy Spirit, and I believe there's an anointing on this song, to, to, to really speak to you. Declare this truth over you. If, if while this song is playing, you feel like you need to stand and worship Jesus, feel free to do that. If you need to get on your knees, feel free to do that. We're just going to have a moment for the next eight or nine minutes where we're just going to say, listen, Holy Spirit, you need to take control because we thoroughly and completely need Jesus. There is someone who wants to take us out, but someone bigger and better has an assignment to write us on. We need him. We need them. And wherever you are, if you feel you're on track, then great. Go deeper. Go more. If you feel like you've messed up and there's no way back, I declare in the words of this song, God's going to work it out. God's going to work it out. But get back. So anyway, listen to this song. You might want to close your eyes and we'll just have some time to pray together through this. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Come on, allow just God to speak to you through this. This is a moment. Before I knew my name, before I drew a breath, He was making ways for me. Now and every day, in each and every step, He is making ways for me. When my heart is full of doubt, feels like faith is running out, I've come too far to turn around. I know. Here's the promise. Here's the promise. Work it out, Lord, for each and every one of us in this room. You're going to work it out. Jesus, thank you, Father. Pushing past the fear, fighting to believe. He is making ways for me. And he won't let me down, never ever leave. He's still making ways for me When my heart is full of doubt It feels like faith is running out I've come too far to turn back around I know You can even sing it
Just pray to him. Just talk to him right where you are, church. Right where you are, just between you and him. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. God's for you. God's not against you. God is for you. He's not against you. together and sing we'll this. Work it James 4 verse 7 and 8, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Ephesians 6 verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Isaiah 54 verse 17, weapons made to attack you will not be successful. Words spoken against you won't hurt at all. I, the Lord, promise to bless you with victory. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Romans 8.37-38, to I know that in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, nor worries about tomorrow, not even 
even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. Because 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, Thanks be to God because he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And Philippians 1.6 says that I am certain that he who began a good work in you will continue that work until it is finished on the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, this is the cry of our hearts. Lord, finish what you've started. Forgive us, Lord, where we've messed up. Rebuild and restore our lives. Get us back on track with you, we pray, for our good and for the good of your world. We thank you that nothing is impossible for you. You will work it out, Lord. We believe it. We declare it. Even if we don't feel it, we trust it because we trust you in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said? Amen. Amen, 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 amen. So friends, we're going to finish our time now, but like, if you need prayer today, if you need someone to pray for you, if you have not for the first time given your life to Jesus, then come to the front. We would love to pray for you. Like if you, maybe you feel like you've done your business with God and you're good, you're, you're good to go. Wonderful. Thank you. But if you would love someone just to have a moment to pray for you and agree with you in prayer about what you need God to work out, then please come to the front and we'll pray. Otherwise, God bless you. Remember, the next two weeks are online church because it's a five-week month, but you can be face-to-face two weeks today, seven o'clock in the evening at Zio Center. So you don't need to miss a physical encounter moment. Then we're back on the first week in November here. But God bless you. God surprise you. God be good to you. God work it out for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you just turn to someone and say, God's going to work it out for you.